0: The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Today's scripture reading is going to be in two places in Acts chapter 16. We'll read verses 11 through 15 and then verses 25 through 34. Uh, The Bible's underneath the seat, that's page 925. Or it should be on the screen behind me. So starting in verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the woman who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia. ...from the city of Thyatria, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Moving over to verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw that prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, "'Do not harm yourself, for we are all here.' And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas." Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them upon, up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household. That he had believed in God, Amen. You guys can be seated.
1: All right, my clock starts. Well, this is uh, good. That that made my. If I left now, it made my morning. That's. Uh, I just rejoice with this. So we're teaching in the Book of Acts. Um, we're just kind of marching through the book. So if you're new to Doc, so we, we started a beginning of a book and just marched through. We're in Acts chapter 16, um, and really the Book of Acts is is really a book about how a professing Christian lives and worships in the Spirit. It's in the context, though, of an expanding church, as this gospel spreads out as a result of Christ's death and resurrection, um, we see what God starts doing in the lives and in the hearts of men who are broken, fallen, and sinful. And in that redemption process in Christ, this world starts watching and taking note and the church grows. That's Acts. So there are some new movements today where we talk about Acts 29, which is the, the chapter after this, as we're in Acts 29. So um, if you could take something away, I hope this would be it, that the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit is active in all aspects of the believer's life. Let me say that again. The takeaway, the presence and power of the Holy Spirit is active in all aspects of the believer's life. And, you know, when I started breaking this down, I wrote all areas and that's not that's we're, we're containing him. You, you could say an area of my work or an area of, of my parenting, but an aspect takes it beyond. It's, it's everything that our life touches upon. So with that, um, I hope you'll, you'll, you'll see that by the end of the two hours. No, 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 it's not two hours. Come on, this is, it's supposed to be 40. I don't know, Randy, it's, we have run about 45 minutes. It's supposed to be 40, but nobody stoned me in the parking lot yet for 50 minutes. So we'll have to just see how it plays. So, so I open up always with questions, and, and here's two questions. Uh, the first actually is this. Do we see the hand of God in every one of our affairs and circumstances in life? Now, think about that just for a minute. Can can you look over and say, well, God was doing this there. God was doing that when I had my potatoes for lunch. And and then I went to dinner at this person's house. And then I did that. And and do we see that? And and I would probably say that um, it's hard. It becomes confusing really quickly. Because there are some things that happen in our lives that are bad. And so, you know, I fall down a flight of stairs and break my leg. And I'm like, this ain't God's will, right? And that's just the tip of the iceberg. Because we live in a world where there's fallen, broken, corrupt, and evil men. And depending on the day of the week, you know, you, we've, I've said some horrible things in my life. I've done some shockingly stupid things. So I know, at least with myself, the potential for destruction, not only to myself, but to others, exists. But magnify that. Because that's the world we live in. Um, Prior to being saved, I'm I'm what they call a prodigal. Meaning, I lived a crappy life prior to coming to Christ. Uh, My thought about humanity was, what can you do for me? And that was about it. And that's just owning it. And again, I don't think that's abnormal for the unsaved portion of humanity. Because really, you're left with gratifying your instincts. Saying, I need more sex, I need more money, I need to be recognized, I need to be loved, I need... And and when you don't get those things, you start to manipulate environments and circumstances. And if you really let run its course, we wind up with world dictators who are butchering half the population of their people. And doing everything they can to maintain control of their present status quo. So, when I say, is God a part of all these circumstances, you kind of step back and say, I don't know. If you're honest... It's easy sometimes to look over your day and see his fingerprints on a few matters. But are they on all of the matters, the daily circumstances? About even not only as a believer, but looking over our shoulder to our unsaved life, maybe our upbringing, our childhood, the home we were raised. How does that play? So it's interesting. I was thinking about this. Sometimes it's very apparent that God's present. And if we're honest, it looks at other times like he's nowhere in sight. And truthfully, there are times for me, even as a believer, I hope he's nowhere in sight. You know, I'm breaking out in a rash of self-will. Do I want God watching this? No. Do we see God as the divine orchestrator who uses all things, both good and bad, for his glory? And you say, you know, Jonathan, I know God's around, but I got free will. And that's a big monkey wrench, too, when you start thinking this through. And and, and I think about this. I have a $50 bill here. It's a Chris $50 bill. What is your name? Madison? That's yours. So what just happened here? You can keep it. I'm serious. And that's not Randy's tithe for this week. That's my money. And so you would go, wait, what just happened in church on Sunday morning? This quack up front just handed Madison a $50 bill. And she's smiling now. She's (laughs) praising God. She is in the mood to worship. So so if the rest of you are lost, that's okay. But Madison here is for his glory for the balance of the hour. And so you step back and you look at not just the free will that leads us to here, but in this moment. And the choices we make, what do we do with those things? And and I'm going to submit something that the way she plans to spend that $50 is going to change over the course of the next hour. Maybe not. But maybe because the goal and the hope is here to see the circumstances that God orchestrates and how we're to play a role and how we're to participate in his plan. You spend that on anything you want, by the way, rejoice and enjoy it. And, and I say that for this reason, there have been times that I've had God just pour his favor on me. And as you go, thanks, you know, God likes good steaks. I mean, he's given me a couple. I know that. So, again, however you decide to do that, I rejoice. So, with that, with that thought there, and I don't think we're ever going to do this again in Doxa. And Randy will probably prohibit me in the future from doing it. So, I don't know what's up with that. So, so I asked the hand of God, Did he make her, did he make me give her the 50 bucks? By the way, Sophia, Randy, got the other 50. Just a heads up. Um, so with that, that's his daughter, by the way, 12 year old daughter, um, we'll get to that maybe a little later on. So, so I asked this question. The question in opening is, is, are we able to recognize the hand of God in all, not most in all our affairs? And if we can, what happens as a result of that? So we're opening up my outline for where we're going this morning, just to give you a little overview Um, The the conversion of Lydia, that's verses 11 through 15. The conversion of Lydia, verses 11 through 15. Then we have the casting out of the demon, that's Acts uh, 16, 16 through 24. The casting out of a demon, 16 through 24. And then the conviction of the jailer, that's 25 through 41. So the conversion of Lydia, 11 through 15. The casting out of a demon, 16 through 24. And the conviction of the jailer, 25 through 41. All right. So I want to give you a little recap. We're in the middle of... We're just starting Paul's second missionary journey. It begins in chapter 16. We know in Lystra, Paul just picked up Timothy. It also appears in Troas that Paul picked up Luke. Trivia question. Who wrote the most of the New Testament? Ah, we got, we got, we got uh, Luke. You put together 28 chapters in uh, Acts, and then you put in, I think there's 28 or 29. Uh, Luke has written the most of the... I said Paul until I was preparing, by the way, so if you said, Paul, you're okay with me. Uh, interesting. What happens, it's interesting now at this point, Paul, um, as the narrative goes on, you, not Paul, Luke, you, you see the we and our and us from this point forward, And so the the overwhelming inference from that is that Luke is now recording firsthand events taking place. Um, Between Acts chapter 11 and 19, we're going to see a span of five years. Going forward, we're going to see a massive explosion of the gospel into um, Macedonia, Achaia, and eventually Asia. And this is kind of a big deal because the churches represented that, which are documented in, in the New Testament, are Thessalonica, Corinth, and Ephesus. So we're going to see the gospel being taken out to these churches, and it's really what they call the cradle of Western civilization that Paul's going to bring the gospel to. So we pick up in Acts chapter 16, verses 11 through 12, and it says this. Now, so setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and I don't know if I did that right, pronounced it right, but it's okay, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. So Paul arrives in Philippi. Um, The custom would have been to wait for the Sabbath and then go to the synagogue, but there was no synagogue in this town, which is really interesting because the requirements to set up a synagogue, you would need 10 Jewish males, 13 years of age or older. So you kind of have a commentary on the lack of Jewish presence here in Philippi. So if you're a Jew and you come somewhere to worship and there's no synagogue, what is the default setting? What do you do? The, the Hebrew tradition would be to go to a major public area or to some riverside location and basically offer prayers and worship. And we pick up in verse 13, which is exactly what Paul does. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside to the gate to the riverside, where, the, where we supposed there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, uh, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she baptized, after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, "'If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord,' Come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So, if you ever want to tell, make a Christian feel like they're obligated to do whatever you want, you can say, If you have judged me faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my house. Or come to dinner with me, or mow my lawn, or whatever you're looking for them to do. So, there you go. That's the kind of hook you grab them by the neck and pull them over. It's biblical, right? I'm just using the black letters here. So Paul gives the good news and Lydia sees her need for salvation. She realizes she's a lost Gentile sinner and doesn't want to go to hell, right? No. No. What, is, what does scripture say? The Lord opened her eyes. The Lord opened her eyes. You know, the day I got saved was no different than the day before. My life was a complete train wreck. I had destroyed it a day at a time for 10 solid years. And I wake up on April 17th of 1990 and my eyes, blink, pop open. But not just my physical eyes, something more. I looked in the mirror and I thought, you're a pathetic train wreck. You can't go on this way. You need help. You can't do this anymore. You're done. Looked at my side and there was a fork. No, there wasn't a fork in me. But that's how I was done. The the rash of the decade of self-will and dictating that I would be my own God and my own king and I would run my life the way I wanted was over. And as a broken man, I stumbled a few places to a location where people lift me up, dusted me off and said, God loves you, wants to be a part of your life. Allow him. To enter into your heart. And I said, you got me done. See, what was there was nothing really externally different between the day before and the day after. But there's something that happened within me where my eyes opened. And if God hadn't opened my eyes that day, I probably I'm convinced my life would have had a horrible end. And I'm convinced I wouldn't be here today. I'm certain of that. I know that with with absolute certainty. The Lord opened her eyes. Had she done things to make her heart receptive? Absolutely. Scripture says she was a worship of God. But, you know, being a worship of God doesn't make you any more a Christian than going to a PTA meeting makes you a parent. Again, there's a lot of work that needs to be done in the the gap. So if the Lord didn't open her heart, would she have received the good news? That's my question. If the Lord had not opened her heart, would she have received the good news? And I'm in the camp where the answer is no, by the way, if you're wondering. Lydia becomes the first European convert in Christianity. It goes to a woman. I think that's cool. So she and her house received the Lord. We're going to see this often throughout Scripture where you see people, they receive the Lord, and it says, and their household. And it's sad because the context of our modern culture fails to let us see and appreciate the significance of the biblical or the, even the traditional head of the household during this time period. Life was a lot rougher. And the person running the household was responsible for not only his family, but the servants. And if he was a good master of his household, he was in charge of feeding, protecting, and providing, and housing, and clothing. All the things that needed to be done to take care of you, if you were in that household, you received that. Now, certainly the priority would be to the blood lineage, but the servants would fall under that. And it's interesting because there are servants who would come and indenture themselves to people, to, to certain masters, because they saw they were good masters. And they'd say, I got debts, I'll come and work for you for 10 years. And after the 10 years lapsed, many times the servant, knowing the kindness, the goodness, and the favor of his master, he'd say, I'm better off under your provision than I would be in going back out on my own. And he'd do a little funky earring, I believe, and and he would become what they call a bond servant. And that's when he would intentionally place himself under the provision and authority as a slave, basically, the status of a slave or servant under uh, under the master of that household. Because he knew that subjecting himself to his authority and provision would be better than anything else he could get anywhere else. And Paul tells us in scripture that he became a bondservant for Christ. Now here's the question. If you have a master of your household and he loves you and he cares for you and he provides for you and he does a fantastic job. And that person says Jesus has, has done the spectacular in my heart and in my life. Would you not want to eat everything off his plate he just told you about? It would be like saying that I'm going to keep the best for me, but the servant or the children in that household would say, I know my father's loving, but I don't want I don't want what is best for him. It's inconsistent. If my worldly father who loves and cares and provides for me says the Lord is my provider and this is a good thing, I would want everything that my father has received in that relationship. And that's why you would see households fall in alignment The second question becomes this, that if the household isn't in alignment, how far do we go in ministry with all the other distractions and fires burning in your old household as you're trying to further the gospel throughout the community? And so I think clearly in this particular situation and in many situations, the salvation that comes to an individual, how often do we see the whole household become saved over time? It's consistent. It's biblical. It just happened quick here. So with that explanation, I wanted to give you that explanation because you see it a lot of times in your scripture and you scratch your head and go, what do they mean? I'm going to give you a principle here. Not a lot of principles this morning, but this is the principle. It's, It's this. The spirit of God alone opens the eyes and hearts of man. The spirit of God alone opens the eyes and hearts of man. The spirit of God alone opens the eyes and hearts of man. We, as believers within the body of Christ, we are not responsible, nor do we try to pry open the eyes of unsaved people. It's not our job. And if you try it, you'll get frustrated very quickly because it doesn't work very well. You usually anger them, and it's frustrating as all get out for you. Christians are called to love one another and to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, to teach them to observe everything that Jesus has commanded. Very simple. Eye-opening, God's purview, teaching, discipling, loving church purview. So that's what happens here. So let me do this. I'm going to move. We're in the second section, the casting out of a demon, verses 16 through 24. I'm going to read 16 through 8 here. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, you see the us there, by the way, that's Luke, us, crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaimed to you the way of salvation. A spirit of divination, like, are you saying like, Jonathan, is that like a demon? Yeah, we're dealing with demonic possession here. Um, the phrase actually in the Greek is actually a python spirit. That sounds kind of crazy. Let me give you the history there. Luke uses the word python because of Greek mythology during that time. There was a belief that this girl was occupied by the Greek god Apollo and then could speak this prophetic power. And the story goes that the python was a servant that guarded the Delphic oracle and was killed by Apollos. And when Apollos killed him, he assumed the oracle's powers himself. So in the culture in that day, they would say basically that all of these diviners would become known as Python. So there's your little bit of history there. Um, this is also, just as a heads up, This is the, we're warned throughout Scripture, leave these people alone. Um, and, and it's, it's a continuous, there are warnings all over the place. You to get your fortune told. Uh, that These are people that are indwelt by some demonic spirit. Not, if it's not the spirit of Christ, it is demonic. There's your default, so be careful. Um, that we are to avoid this stuff. So speaking of demonic powers today, are are people still possessed by demonic beings? And and I would tell you, absolutely. And to me, it's it's really kind of a disconcerting. I reinforce myself when I encounter these issues with 1 John 4, 4. And it says this, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Okay. So I step back and I reassert that statement of fact as to whatever, however uncomfortable this makes me. I've sat in rooms with people who have murdered other people. And when you see an unrepentant person who has killed another human being in a brutal manner, and you get the first-hand account of that, i got to be honest, my skin crawls. Um, As an attorney, the first 10 years of practicing law, I did criminal defense work. I was clerking in a public defender's office out in Jackson, Mississippi, and um, I showed up in a courtroom, and this guy walks up to the judge and says, I murdered these two people. And the deputy public defender looks at me and says, Jonathan, you need to take this one and do the intake. I mean, it's there's a world out there when you sit down with some of these people, it's you, you hair on my whole body stands up. And so I would tell you two things. There are reality that that's that's very important to acknowledge and that there's a holy God who's more powerful Um. The the believer cannot be indwelt, and I don't have the time to give you theology here, but the believer cannot be indwelt and possessed by a demonic being. I believe that, at least according to scripture. But can we be influenced? Absolutely. I got into a fight one time, uh, verbal alter, alteration, I should say, with my wife, Kate, and it literally escalated so fast that I remember thinking, "Deathcom 5, flip open the atomic switch, nuke the freaking planet, as long as the wife's there, nuke the whole place, scorched earth. And, and it escalated so fast. that. And I think Kate said this, I don't remember who said it, but I think my wife said it. She said to me, this is not about us. And I literally felt somebody leave the room. I mean, it was scary. It was like, whoa, what just happened here? but i but the sense was overwhelming that somebody was in the room with us and the second she said that they laughed and i've never forgotten that feeling that's a the feeling is a bad feeling it, it makes me squirm um this this uh this this girl let me let me talk a little bit about more her her and we will go on um So, why is this girl proclaiming? You, now, if you, if you do the math quick, you're going to say, this is a demon girl proclaiming that these men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Is that consistent with the testimony of somebody whose sole objective is to undermine the kingdom of God? Is that declaration coming from the enemy... Why is she saying this? Now, I'll be honest. I could use a couple of these girls down on the boardwalk at the pavilion in the summer. If that's what they're going to be doing, proclaiming this kind of stuff, I'm cool with that. Uh, Probably don't want them to share a lot more because it would go south from there. But she's glorifying God. Are we getting this? So my question would be, why is she glorifying God? And the answer is this, is that God has the complete providential uh, right... To use everything in his creation to bring him glory. Demonic beings included. So the demon inside of this woman could no more resist the will of God than Lydia could opening her eyes. Do you want me to say that again? The the, the the woman with the demonic being could no more resist declaring who these men were than Lydia could resist Opening her eyes and we're, we're going to unpack more of that because these are pretty bold statements, but I'm going to give you some biblical support for this uh, numbers chapter 22 Balaam was this corrupt prophet um, he, he people around him wanted to curse Israel and he kept saying I can't curse Israel I can't he had no say in people that wanted Israel to be cursed. Didn't God say Jacob would get the blessing? Jacob and Esau, his father, um, not Jacob, excuse me. um, Yes, didn't God say to Isaac, the younger, the older will serve the younger and that this blessing will go to the younger. And and then the works of man go out on this uh, excursion to allow Esau to get the blessing and who gets the blessing in the end? Jacob, Jacob got the blessing. So even when the man's of... The plans of man try to thwart the plan of God. Guess what happens in the end? Absolutely have the man's plans thwarted by the power of God. And was it not even Satan who indwelt Judas to turn Christ over to the authorities to be crucified? When in the final analysis, God sent his son to die on a cross. So if there is a plan of God, it will trump. End of the question. All plans of man. And so now if you're like me, you're thinking, well, what about if it isn't the plan of God, right? And that's a big question. And I'm not going to answer it at this moment. Randy's smiling now. He probably knows where I'm going. Let me keep, pick up and keep reading. And hopefully, this, some of this is convoluted stuff when you start looking at this because you're going down this rabbit hole. Was well, it God's will or was it not God's will? How does this demon girl give praise and glory to God? And why is she giving praise and glory to God if she's working for Satan? Clearly, Being possessed by a demon, she was nonetheless performing the work of God. Is that not fair to assume? Based on the black letters of scripture. Acknowledging holiness of God and what these men are doing. Acts chapter 16, 18 picks up. This she kept doing for many days. Paul, now think about this. Who is making her do this for many days? It's not Satan. Because Satan don't want her proclaiming this message. She kept doing this for many days. And Paul, having become greatly annoyed... The Hebrew word is worn out, by the way. This is good. Greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it came out at that very hour. So let me ask the question. Who cast out the demon? Was it Paul's human words coming out of his mouth? Or was it the words backed by the power of a holy God casting out the demon? Now, again, if you think this one through, it's an easy answer. It was the power of God being used through Paul to cast out the demon. It's funny. So why does God let this woman keep badgering Paul with declaring the holiness of God and who these men are only to annoy the stuffing out of Paul to the point where he snaps basically and says, get out. Because this sets in motion some real headaches coming for Paul. If you read the rest of the passage, so here's what happens. The girl's demon leaves. She can no longer prophesy and foretell. The cash cow is taken out the owner finds out that that the slave girl's not making him any more money he's ticked off goes to the authorities says these people are making a mess here they seize paul and silas they drag him to the marketplace strip him beat him and jail him and the jailing is not comfortable by the way because they're put in what they call the solitary uh, ancient hebrew cryptid environment so in a little stock so he's so he gets thrown into jail The allegation these men are Jews and they're disturbing the city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. Now, that's all a bunch of lies. Because they're ticked off because they just lost their, their little profit business. Proud attacks them, beats them severely, beats them severely. Places their feet in socks. Now, let me give you a little quick heads up on how this jail was set up. The jail would have been a large, obviously, brick structure. The rooms typically where they would put prisoners would have been on the outside with a little light to come in. And on the interior, um, there would have been like the maximum security lockdown. No windows. Because they want you to stay in the dark because they don't want you monkeying with anything. And then there's stocks that they put your feet in. So imagine this. If you're put into a cold, damp, dark environment. We know he was hungry because the first thing that the jailer does after he cleans his wounds is feed him. And so he goes into there, cold, dark, damp, hungry, bleeding out. And then they lock you into something where your legs can't move. So you're stuck laying down. Just think through the horror of this type of a situation. Not a good day, is it? Paul says, this is what I get for casting out a demon, right? What would you be thinking having this type of a day about whether or not you're in the will of the plan or under the provision of God? The third section, the conviction of the jailer. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Now, wait a minute. You immediately should be like, what? What? So you're in a car accident. You're beaten up. You've had a bad day. You fell down a flight of stairs. You broke your leg. You come home and you're going to decide to sing and pray. Is that what you do? Any hands? Singing and pray. I would have been like, no, I need some water. I'm not singing. And if I get water, I'm still not singing. All right. I mean, this is fair if you think this through. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And again, this hinges upon my opening question. that do we see the hand and provision of God behind every aspect of our life? Because it's going to affect a lot of things if we do. Roman prisons were also not penal. This, this is not a happy environment, by the way. The, the prison he was in had three outcomes. When they, they didn't stick you in jail and keep you there for any extended period of time. It was a holding tank to get you in front of a magistrate to try you. Either you, the case would be thrown out, which is very unlikely, or they would beat you, flog you, or kill you. And the Romans weren't as kind as the Jews because the Jews would say, well, we'll scourge them. We'll lash them 39 times because 40 is excessive. The scourging under the Roman Empire was unlimited because they basically said, let the crime, the punishment fit the crime. So let me just ask, where do we take, what's the takeaway here? So when you have a good day, when I have a good day, do we give ourselves credit at a minimum for just, hey, you did a good day. You, you're doing all the things you should be. Pat yourself on the back. Is there any acknowledgement to God? Singing, praises, hymns, acknowledgements to him. And then conversely, when we have a bad day, who gets the blame? Have you ever had a, bad, a really bad day where you growl like I have, God? And I've said this. Excuse if it's recorded. I've growled to God. What the hell are you doing? That's the kind of days I've had. In my pr- that's my prayer. Where do you go then? Should the type of day we're having have any indication as to whether or not we're living or not living under God's will? Think this through. These these are questions that we as individual believers struggle with and have to ask because we're looking at a set of circumstances that fits perfectly into these crazy days we have as Christians. So when we have a bad day, do we complain on how hard life is rather than looking to pray and sing to the Lord? How is it that Paul and Silas could be praying and singing while having such a rotten day? Right? Just, just questions. Acts 26, verse 26. And suddenly there was a great earthquake and the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Sounds like literally like your, whatever was holding you to the wall was loosened. Whatever was holding you to the wrist. Whatever was holding your legs and the side, Poof, they all came off. And I think this is accurate because all the prisoners didn't leave. We're going to get to that in a minute. If you were a prisoner and there was an earthquake and you figured out I could escape now, you would leave. Because your fate was bad any way you slice it. It's, the only thing you're doing is hopefully going to get away, but you're just pushing off the inevitable at a minimum. And if I said you can be beaten today or tomorrow, which would you prefer? And it's obvious tomorrow. So you would hightail it. But the prisoners, in addition to Paul and Silas, did not run. And the question becomes why? You're sitting in this prison. It's locked down. These crackpots are singing and praising to this God, they claim. And then all of a sudden there's an earthquake, and the earthquake doesn't just loosen everybody's ch- chains to the wall, but the, the, the l- latches around your wrists pop open. And at that point, you realize something way bigger is going on here than to get out of jail-free card. And we know that because verse 27 picks up. When the jailer woke and saw the prisoners' doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And my presumption, and I could be wrong on this, is that the prisoners weren't just sitting in their cells. When everything popped open, they went into the jail further than, rather than going out. And now you've got these guys sitting in this dark room with Paul and Silas going, What just happened? Who is this God you serve? And I don't know what the conversation was. Scripture doesn't record it. But I can picture now the jailer knowing he's going to die. The punishment under Roman law for letting your prisoner go would be the, the punishment due to the prisoner. You got me? And the jail was packed. So he's clearly going to, he, he knows he's going to die. What happened to the prisoners guarding Peter earlier? The spirit let him out. They were all executed. So the, so the jailer knows I'm going to die. And must have been reciting it because how did Paul know he's going to kill himself? He's probably going, woe is me, I will now fall on my sword. And Paul screams, don't do that. That's prob- something like that probably happened. Unless Paul knew through the spirit he was going to kill himself and just screamed. Hey, don't kill yourself, knucklehead. So at that point, so at this point, I can, this is amazing to me that if you think about this, that this jailer now comes in with a torture lantern and he looks into this room. These guys are, ble- these guys are bruised and bloody. And smiling. All right. They're praising God and singing. And then they're surrounded by the other prisoners. Who kind of got this stupid stoned look on their face. And that's the only conclusion. Like this dazed look like, huh? Like something's happening here. Not stoned. I should take that back. But this perplexed, like, I don't know what's going on. Look. And the utter shock on the jailer's face to look in there. And they said, so it picks up. Scripture says, And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? It's the question of the day. It's the caption. One good question. The caption of this teaching this morning. Don't ever let anyone tell you there are no dumb questions. There definitely are dumb questions. But this is not one of them. The jailer's question was actually the best question any person to ever walk the face of the earth could ever ask. Because if you don't get the answer... Your eternal destiny is, is is horrifying to me. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house, and he took them the same hour that night and washed their wounds. It, it was ugly. Washed their wounds and bat and he was baptized at once. Picture Paul limping down to the riverside again where he'd met Lydia and said, God, you know, I'm tired. I've had a long day. I'm gonna dunk him and I'm going to bed soon. I'm whipped. And so they baptized him at once, and he said, all his family. And then he brought them up to his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced, along with his entire household, that he had believed in God. Just an amazing story. And so let me ask you a couple questions now. I'm forgetting your name. Megan Madison? Which one? What? What? Madison. Okay, good. So if I walked up to Madison, instead of handing her a $50 bill, and kicked her in the shins. See, I was looking for a good illustration, and that one wouldn't work, right? So, you know, we see in life good things and bad things, right? And, we, and it's easy to attribute the good things to God and rejoice, which she is, I know. But if I had kicked her in the shins, she wouldn't have been rejoicing, right? Or at least singing praises. She wouldn't be coming back to docks, I guess. All right? <laughs> And I might be going to jail. So it's fair. It's all things that pan out in the end. But so so the question becomes Lydia, her eyes just pop open and we all praise God. Then on the other hand, you got Paul showing up and and this demonic girl pesters him to the extent that he snaps. As a result of that, gets beaten, tortured, thrown into jail. And then the jailer comes along. There's the earthquake. And the jailer comes to a place, a moment, a moment of clarity and says, what must I do to be saved? And my question this morning is how many of those circumstances are wholly within the divine purview and orchestration of the maker of the heavens and the earth? See, we can't pick and choose. You say, well, it's the, earth, or the earthquake, maybe it just was an earthquake. No, because we know the chains popped open at the same time. But then you say, so were the beatings? part of that plan? Romans 8 28 tells us this. All things work together for the good. Those who love God and called according to his purpose. You know, when we think about some things in scripture in Genesis chapter 50, uh, Joseph was um, one of, of 12 sons, Jacob, and Joseph was horrifically mistreated, sold into slavery, betrayed by his own brothers, betrayed by his own brothers, Sold off into slavery, he winds up as a slave at a house, has a false rape charge lodged against him, winds up in jail, and is left to rot. And then Joseph is taken from the prison to the palace and placed in second over all of Egypt, probably the world at that point. And so when, Jacob's, uh, when Joseph's father, Jacob, dies, his brothers are shaking in their boots and they come to him and they say, oh, oh mercy, mercy, mercy. And Joseph says this to them. He says, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? That's a big question. Maybe some days we should ask ourselves that more, more often. You intended to harm me. Woo. Call it what it is. You're a rotten, even corrupt human being. All fairness. This would be the foundation of the church of Israel, by the way. <laughs> These brothers. Uh, and they were a batch. Um, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for the good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Well, wait a minute. So is scripture telling us that God can take an even evil, evil, wicked plan of man? And he can intend it the same evil, wicked plan and intended for good. So does that mean the things that happen to us that leave us really at a place where where life Where we're bleeding out physically, emotionally, or spiritually on the side of the road in a gutter left for dead. The equivalent of that. And say that this is all a part of God's perfect providential order. Now, I'm not saying that God initiates the evil. He didn't say he told Joseph's brothers to betray him and all the other bad things to happen. God says he can take the intent of man and use it for the intent of God. And that should change everything here and now. And if it doesn't, our faith is meaningless. It's not going to work. It is not going to get you through the storms in life that are going to come down the alleyway. It is not sufficient to have anything less than what we bank on as believers. That in all things work together for the good. That even the rotten, horrible things of this reality that we live in as human beings, that God converts it to good. And scripture backs that up. Colossians 1 Chapter 16 and 17, for, for by him all things are created and in, in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things are held together. Just how many alls does that exclude? See, we either bank on the word of God, and here's where I'm going with this. Paul would later write a letter to the Philippian church. When you see this lived out, this confident faith that God takes the tragic, horrible, bad things of this world. and, And he watches them, transform them through a human being indwelt by the power of his spirit. The world watches. And the goal for us, the goal is to live that out because when the world witnesses it, there's one question. What must I do? To be saved. Paul would later write a letter to the Philippians. And he said this. For I have learned in whatever situation I am in. To be content. I know how to be brought low. And I know how to be brought abound. In any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. Madison plenty this morning. God bless you. You have a beautiful smile by the way. I made my day too. Plenty and in hunger. Abundance and in need. And I can, all, I can do all things through him. Who strengthens me. And that's the message from this passage. That no matter where we are. That if we can live this out the way that Paul had lived it out. That this world's going to take note. And those who are dying and spiritually lost. Who are hopeless and helpless. And can't open their eyes. So that that through God's miraculous power. There's going to be a sliver of their eye that opens up. And they're going to catch a glimpse. Of what has transformed the essence of who we are. And how we live. And they'll draw one question. What must I do to be saved? Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Um, I, pr- I pray for uh, those who, who need to have their eyes opened uh, as my eyes needed to be opened as the balance of us who profess you as Lord and Savior needed to have their eyes opened, that that they could see something within us that makes them ask the question, how how does this salvation come to man? Father, we rejoice that it has come to man and, th- and that you have given us your word that we can live according to it through the power of your spirit, and that your goodness and favor rest upon us and in our midst in this day. We rejoice and thank you for this day of worship. Pray it will be to your glory and honor in Christ's name. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives we invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.